0: You won't get to not change the title on the notes. Um, so every once in a while that happens, so um, I don't actually, I don't think I actually even thought of a title, so um, you can just ignore the title because that's wrong. That's last week's title. Um, everything else got changed, though, so I, I think we're good there. just I, I said I don't think I have one yet. Oh. I didn't really think about <laughs> it. If I would have thought of a title, I would have went and changed it. I don't think that's what it's going to be. Okay. Um, so let's go ahead. We'll pray, and then we'll get started. Um, Jonathan, would you open us up up prayer? Amen. So we're in Philippians one nineteen through 26. That is correct. Um <laughs> Wherever we've been, Paul starts out by talking about how he is praying for and he's concerned for the Philippian church. Uh, you know, he's praying about their spiritual needs, about their growth in the Lord. Um, then last week we talked about that Paul turned his direction into his situation, how he's in prison. And remember, this is uh, his first imprisonment, so this is more of a house arrest where he's renting his own house and he he's not allowed to leave. He has uh, uh, palace guards from Caesar's palace with him day and night, um, and he's he's letting the church know that while the situation looks bad in human standards, while things don't look like they're going right, this is exactly where God wants him, that he's here, he's ministering, he's sharing the gospel, he's reaching people with the gospel of Christ, they're being saved, God's working through him and that um, we looked at another passage where he talks about the gospel is not changed. It's, it's not changed just because he's changed. He's able to do exactly what God wants him to do. Um, this week he's going to focus uh, a little more on his circumstances and continue to reassure the church. Um, in the previous verses, Paul assures the church that he's right where God wants him. But in these verses, he wants to assure him that no matter what happens going forward here, God is in control and God deserves the glory. And we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at how Paul viewed life and death and apply these principles in our life. Uh, so let's go ahead and read the passage at the top of the sheet there, uh, Philippians 1:19 through 26. Josiah, your hand was up before I even asked, so go ahead. Okay, so again, we're going to look at this, we're going to look at Paul's uh, attitude, his philosophy concerning uh, basically whether he lives or dies, what does that mean for him. And we're going to apply it to us, because I think these same principles apply to us in our life, and I think we can uh, learn some things through them. So we're going to start out, uh, first of all, looking at Philippians 1, 19 and 20. Here we see that God will be magnified uh, whether we live or whether we die. I say God will be magnified. I think this is a choice that we make um, to some extent, especially the living part or how are we going to live our lives. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Philippians 1.19, Paul says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of, Jesus, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation, and hope that nothing I shall be ashamed, both all boldness as always, so now as also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death so you see at the end of the verse, he's talking about going forward, what happens to him. Uh, he's in imprisonment. His, his future is uncertain from human perspective. He could go on living. He could be released. He could stay in this house of rest. Or Rome could suddenly change their mind and say, hey, this guy's dangerous. Let's kill him. So there's a lot of uncertainty in his life, but Paul says no matter what happens, life or death... Christ is going to be magnified in me. That's what my intention is. That's what my goal is. That's what my desire is. Um, so we look in verse 19 here. He says, Paul believed that God would deliver him. Um, he says here, for I know. The idea of know here, this is different than the previous know. Remember, we had know a couple times in the first couple chapters. That word had, was a experiential knowledge. just knowing something by spending time with it, by experiencing it, by uh, just being thoroughly involved with it, kind of like you'd say if you're a husband or your wife, you know your spouse, um, because you know you spend time with them, you understand them, you've talked with them, you've shared your feelings and thoughts and uh, done things with them, so you know them better than almost anybody, probably anybody else on the earth knows them. That's that kind of no. This no is different. This is not a deep experiential knowledge. This is just a kind of a no for certainty. Paul is certain that whatever happens here that he's going to magnify God in his body. So what does he know? He knows that, first of all, this will turn off for his deliverance. So we have to ask the question. He says, this will turn off for his deliverance. What is this? Well, he's in a set of circumstances here. He's already explained some of it in the previous verses. Um, He's imprisoned. We've already talked about that. Um, The previous verses actually talk about men who are going on sharing the gospel with bad intent. And one of their bad intent is that they wanted to see Paul hurt. They wanted to destroy his ministry. And as much as Paul says, you know, I don't care as long as the gospel goes out, that's the main point that the gospel shared, it's still a situation he's in. He's still dealing with people that are against him personally and against his ministry. Um, So there's that going on too. And, And so there's a lot of things on Paul's mind, a lot of things that he's dealing with, and he says, I believe that I am going to be delivered from this. So what does deliverance mean? Well, the word deliverance is literally the word for salvation. Um, any place else we see saved, salvation, anything in the Bible, this is the same word here. So his deliverance is literally, God's going to give me salvation. And again, we can understand salvation in different ways. We understand salvation one way is that God justifies us. He, he turns us from being sinners apart from him, to saved saints, right? That's salvation. Another way salvation used is in our sanctification. Um, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling is not that you work to be saved, but it's work to grow in Christ, to go from being the sinful person that you are to a holy, um, sanctified person. We also know that salvation is used at times uh, to talk about Our ultimate salvation, when Christ returns or when we die and we go to be with him and he removes that sin from us and makes us perfect before him. That's also called salvation in the Bible. The Old Testament, a lot of times salvation was uh, a physical deliverance from an enemy. You know, I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. David was talking about, the Philistines are throwing spears at me. God's going to save me from that. That's salvation. Here, this idea is is salvation from his circumstances, from what's going on in his life. Paul's already saved, obviously. He's an apostle of Christ. He's sharing the gospel. There's no doubt about his salvation, as we normally talk about. But he's talking about being saved in his circumstances here. So he believes that God's going to save him from that. Um, Romans 8.28 tells us that God's... Going to do good things in our life as we trust Him, as we serve Him, because that's what God's in the business of. So, Romans 8.28, Olivia. And we know that all things work together for good those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. So, those of us who are, um, those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose, God is going to work out all things for good in their lives. So, even Paul with his imprisonment, even Paul with the naysayers, the people that are trying to hurt him. Everything that's going on in Paul's life, he knows that this is going to work out for good and that God's salvation is going to work in him. He's going to deliver him from this thing that's going on. So how does this happen? He says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance, first of all, through your prayers. Uh, A couple weeks ago we talked about prayer and we said, you know, Paul's emphasis a lot of times in praying is on our spiritual needs. And I think... And I told you, while I think the Bible gives us different passages, like James 5, um, and then, uh, I'm trying to think what the other one was. I'm drawing a blank here. I have third John, where it talks about different people praying for physical needs of people. I, I say most of the emphasis in the Bible seems to be on praying for spiritual things. I think we sometimes fail to do that. We need to be better at that. But here... Paul's talking about a physical deliverance, and he's talking about that they're praying for him. So he acknowledges their prayers are for his physical need, for his deliverance from prison, for his deliverance from the people who are against him. Um, And so he says that God's going to provide this deliverance, first of all, through your prayers, as you're praying for me on these things. And so Paul is not even asking. He knows that the Philippian church is already doing this. They're already so concerned about Paul, they've been in prayer for him. And so this is not something where he's like, oh, oh, guys, you better be praying for me now. He says, you're already doing it. Your prayers are already working for me. Um, James 5.16, would somebody read that? Eric. Yes, I was. Gonna, I, I decided I'm going to let everybody who reads come up afterwards and get the candy so we don't have to pass it around and be a distraction. I think that might be a better, better way to do this. So, so we'll invite you up afterwards and you can get your starburst. So here you see both the spiritual and the physical need. You're, confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's a, there's a spiritual element, there's a physical element. But the point I want to make is the end of that verse. The fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? You know, God can do whatever he wants, right? God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He, he's sovereign over all things. If God didn't want you in whatever situation you're in that you're stressed about... He doesn't have to put you in it. And if you're in it, he can certainly get you out of it whenever he wants to. However, God seems to desire to use our prayers to show his power. And I think part of that is just an acknowledgement of who God is. As we pray to God and say, this is outside of my control. This is something I can't deal with. This is something that I can't change in my life. God, I'm trusting you. And then he works through that. Then we can go and say, wow, look what God did. If God just took that away, how would we know that God's doing that? If God never left us in that situation, how would we even know that God's working? I think it's for his glory that he uses our prayers to show forth his power. And so it's neat here, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God listens to that and he works through that. As we're praying, he wants to show his power. He wants to work on our behalf as we acknowledge him and come to him and say, God, I need you. You're the only one. You're the one I'm depending on. And God says, great, let me show you what I can do. And so uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails I I just love that verse. Uh, Romans 15.30. No, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.5-11. Do I have that on here? Okay, that was the one that was long. So, yeah, if you can get out your Bibles. uh, uh, There are a couple of verses in here where I knew they were a little longer. I was already at four pages. I'm like, I'm not going to put the verse on there because it's... (laughs) They're going to be like, he's going to teach for three hours. So what's going on? Um, so 2 Corinthians 5, if you do have your, sorry, 2 Corinthians 1. I, I can't I can't read my notes. That's the problem. <laughs> I, type that I typed it out, and I have no idea what I typed. I mean, it's just like, okay. Uh, so verses 5 through 11. Um, I'm in 1 Corinthians, that's why that doesn't look right. Not only can I not read my notes, I can't read my Bible. Okay, uh, so five, 5 through 11, 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 1. Don't, don't listen to what I say, listen to what's on the paper. Nathan, are you going to volunteer to read?
1: sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, for the gift granted to us to many.
0: Now I'm not going to exegete this whole passage, there's a lot in here. But look at verse 5, starting there, and what's going on. Uh, he starts out saying, the sufferings of Christ abound in us. Um, he says in verse 6, we're afflicted. Um, verse uh, 8, uh, we don't want to be ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were above strength, and so that we despaired even of life. There, things are so bad that they're, like, they're just sick of being alive and having to deal with this. I mean, that's what he's saying there, right? And, and we've all been in that place, I think, that, that things have been bad, and we said, I just, I just don't know how to go on. That's kind of where Paul was at there. Uh, verse 9, he said, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. You know, things are so bad for him that, that they thought they were going to die. They thought the time had come. Um, and verse 10 talks about that God delivered them from so great a death and does deliver us. In whom we trust, and he will still deliver us. So Paul has this confidence God's delivered us, he's delivering us now, and he's going to continue to deliver us. But look at verse 11 so that you also helping together in prayer for us. So here, the, the, the Corinthian church, as much problems as we contribute to the Corinthian church and all the things that they were doing wrong, here's one thing that they were doing really well they were praying for Paul, they were praying for him in his situation. And Paul says, part of the reason why God has delivered us is because you have been praying. And and here's the point. I think it kind of goes with what I said earlier. um, That thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf. Well, how are thanks given? Well, they're praying for Paul. Paul's delivered. And then they can go back and say, we prayed for Paul. God did something. Let's thank God for what he's done. Again, it's giving glory to God. So so the, the idea that they're praying for Paul in his hard times, this is not an unusual situation. The churches were doing this faithfully. And the Philippian church we see here was praying for Paul even as he's in prison, even as he's struggling uh, with dealing with people that are against him and these different things. The, the Philippian church is spending time in prayer with for him. So he's, deli- he's he trusts his things will turn off for his deliverance through prayer, but also through the Holy Spirit. Um, and here he talks about the supply of the Holy Spirit. The so- supply is the assistance, the help of the Holy Spirit. So, not only is God going to use their prayers, but God has given them his spirit. And that should be a comfort to all of us, because who has the Holy Spirit of God in them? Every believer, right? And so, when we get in hard times, when we get in difficulties, guess what? God's there with you. He's there to help you. We just need to depend on the supply that he gives, that assistance, that help. The Spirit will do, and Paul here, in his case, will do his work in Paul. Uh, let's look at Ephesians 3:20 20 and 21. Lynn, go ahead. Now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all we
2: ask or think, according to the power of his work in us, give him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus
0: to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So here, this this kind of you can see a little bit of prayer in here, right? Because there's that asking in there. But it talks about that God can do exceedingly abundantly. It's not just exceedingly. It's not just abundantly. It's exceedingly abundantly above what we could ask or even what we could think of. And it's through the power that works in us. What's the power that works in us? That, that comes from his Holy Spirit, right? So God's Spirit working in us can do so much more than we would ever even ask for, but even what we could even think of, that God can work in us that way. And so Paul's saying, you're praying for me. That's awesome. God's going to use that. God's going to answer that because he wants to glorify himself. But you know what else? God's given me his spirit so I can handle this, I can get through this, I can do what God wants me to do, because this spirit's gonna work in me. And, and Paul, by the way, wrote Ephesians too. So he understands that God's gonna work in me even greater than I can expect. You know, I, I think Paul was a human being. I don't think Paul was a superhero, right? So him being in prison, there's probably some discouragement that he's actually in prison. What do you think? I would be discouraged. But as Paul's writing Philippians, he's saying this has happened for good. This has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. He's seen God work, and maybe it's more than he even expected that, okay, I'm in prison in Rome. Okay, I'll do my best for God. And God's saying, look what I can do for you. I'm going to have the gospel go out to Rome. I'm going to have the gospel go out to Caesar's household, even. That people that serve the most powerful man in the world are going to trust Christ as their Savior. I'm going to bring people in to see what you're doing, and you're going to have a chance to share the gospel with them. Oh, I can do so much more than you could ever think, Paul. And it's because of my spirit working in you. And Paul has that. I think that's, that's just neat there. So he, he says, now I, I believe I'm going to be delivered because you're praying for me and because God's spirit's working in me, that God's going to provide his salvation in this circumstance. So what's he going to do? So verse 20, according to my earnest expectation, hope that nothing I will be ashamed, but with all boldness... As always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by by life or by death. I think the big point in that verse is that Christ is going to be magnified. Uh, Paul will magnify God in his body here. This magnify means, I'm going to come back to this later, so get this, it means to enlarge or to make or declare great. It's, It's, you know, people, they know about God, they know about Jesus. Paul's gonna, Paul says, watch what I'm doing because it's going to show you how big Jesus is. It's going to show you how great he is. That's what's going to happen when you watch my life because that's my desire. That's what I want to do. I want people to see Christ in me. And not only see Christ in me, but see Christ for who he is. That, that He's just huge. He's, he's, just, he's just above all things. He's worthy to be praised. He's worship, worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be served. He's worthy to be honored. You're going to see that because of the way I'm living. That's what Paul's saying here. He's going to magnify my my body. So Paul desires to not be ashamed. He's like, I'm not going to bring shame on the name of Christ here. I'm going to magnify him. And he says here his expectation. This word expectation is his eager longing, his deep desire, is that I don't want to be causing shame to the cause of Christ. I want to be magnifying Christ. I want to be lifting him up and glorifying him. So his expectation, his hope. We understand hope. This is this is. Uh, 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 Confidence in what's going to happen, that he knows that whatever happens, God is going to be magnified in him, and that he will not be put to shame. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 10 18. Who would like to read? Go ahead. For even if I and here he's dealing with people that are questioning his authority. They're questioning uh, whether he's worthy to be an apostle, whether they should listen to him. And he says, I could boast about my authority. I could boast about what Christ has done for me and the position he's put me in. But you know what? I'm here for your edification. I'm here to build you up. I'm not here to build me up to show you what my authority is. My goal is to build you up as a church. And um, I'm not here to destroy you. And I think the idea here is to say, look, I'm Paul. You're nobody. You need to listen to me. That's not his goal here. But no matter what happens, he says, you can doubt my apostleship, you can doubt my ministry, I'm not going to be ashamed of what Christ has called me to do. I'm going to keep doing it and it's up to you what your response is. But I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am and what God's called me to do. Um, so he's not going to be put to shame and here he says in this, he's, gonna, he's, he's hoping, he has this earnest expectation, he has this future look that God is going to be magnified in him. And nothing's going put to put that cause to shame. He's going to continue to uh, push forward and do that. So Paul will magnify him in his body. Uh, let's look at Second Corinthians 4.10. Another reader. Go ahead, Jordan. So here he's always caring about the, in his body the dying of the Lord Jesus. He's always looking at Christ's death in his life and what that's accomplished that in his life, Jesus is going to be manifested. It's going to be shown. It's going to be made clear, made evident in his body that people are going to see Christ in him. Again, kind of the same concept here. So he's going to do this with boldness. This is a characteristic of Paul. Um, in this passage, he says, uh, with all boldness as always. Um, you know, Paul, Paul was bold. He, he, just, he was certain of what his message was. He's certain of what his mission was. And he just went out and did it. And he said, that's not going to change here. Yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, people hate me. Guess what? That doesn't change anything. I'm still going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to be bold and share this message. And so here, here's the big thing where I think it fits into this lesson because we're going to come back to this life and death issue very often, that Christ will be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. So in life, in his life, Paul will magnify Christ by his attitude, by his actions, by what people see in his life. They're going to see Christ in him. But here and we're going to see in a second he's not sure what's going to happen so he says okay so what if i die well even in death his deliverance comes because of death you know what happens well i don't have to deal with prison anymore once i die i don't have to deal with people belittling my ministry and, and trying to cause harm to me that's all done that's like ultimate deliverance everything's taken care of at that point so i i'm confident that, you know in life God's going to take care of the situation. He has me where He wants me to be, and if He wants to release me from prison, that's great. If He wants me to continue minister here, that's great. That's my deliverance. I'm going to serve God and magnify Him. But if I die, that's even better. And we're going to, talk, we're going to see that He really believes that. That's that's this is ultimate deliverance. This takes care of everything. I'm done. It's well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy prepared for you beforehand. That's that's where He's at. So He's He's ready for that. Um, so. If deliverance comes because of his death, God will be magnified by what Paul accomplished through him and through his testimony here. You know, people are going to say, hey, Paul Paul continued right to the end. He did what God wanted him to. He was a faithful servant, and they're going to see that. Uh, a few verses here. Um, I put a lot of verses in because as I was going through, there's so many that were good, and I left a lot out that I wanted to put in. Uh, so we'll do a few. Job 13, 15, and 16. Jonathan, go ahead. So here Job is arguing with his friends and, and he makes this statement, though he slaying me, yet I will trust him. You know, Job is basically saying, God's going to do whatever he wants with me. He's already taken away my health. He's taken away most of my family. He's taken away all my possessions. If he kills me, okay, he's God. I trust him. I, I'm, I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to know that he's faithful still. And then he says in verse 16, he shall also be my salvation. Well, what are you talking about? If God slays me, he's still going to be my salvation. It kind of sounds a little bit like Paul, right? Job's going through these hard times, because Job is going through very hard times, hard times that probably almost none of us have ever gone through like Job. And he says, I'm still going to trust God, even if it comes to the point where he says, you're done, Job, your life's over, this is it, he still trusts him. So great testimony there. Second Timothy 4, 6, and 7. Another reader, please. Elizabeth, Go ahead. Now, when we go to 2 Timothy, we're looking at the last book Paul wrote. This was uh, certainly shortly before his death. And he's actually talking about it in this passage. When he's saying he's being poured out as a drink offering, this is, this is him saying that my, the time of my death is at hand. I'm coming to the end of things. I'm, I'm, I'm just about done. You know, he's writing Timothy, and Tim, he's passing the torch on to Timothy. He's, he's the next guy in line. And he's instructing Timothy, you need to do what you need to do preach the word, be in season, be out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, you know, that kind of thing. Timothy, you're taking over. I'm done. I'm being poured out. This is the end for me. Um, And look at his testimony, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. These are words that, if you're saying that out loud and and you haven't done that, people are going to go, oh, yeah? What about this, Paul? What about this? He knew he could say that because he has been faithful. He had been, with this attitude, I'm going to magnify Christ in my body while I live. And now he can say at the end of his life when things are over, I've done that. I've done what God wanted me to do. I've been faithful to his cause. I've been faithful to what God's called me. And and he can make that statement. And that's this kind of idea that even in death, I get to death and there's my testimony. I've been faithful to God. I've been doing what he wanted me to do. I ran his race. I fought this good fight. I've done what God wants me to do and God's magnified in that. Romans fourteen, seven through nine. Nathan, go ahead. So no one lives to himself, no one lives for himself, no one dies for himself. It's, the point of your life, the point of your death is not to build you up, it's not to glorify you. If we live, we live to the Lord. If you live to serve the Lord, that should be your goal, that should be your purpose. Unfortunately, we don't always do that, right? Um, this morning's message was talking about looking at that sin and seeing that sin as God sees it, and just hating and abhorring. I, I, I wrote down some of the words that Jordan used this morning, just, just finding it disgusting, our sin, because... We want to live for the Lord. But if we die, guess what? We also die to the Lord. We die serving his purpose and his goals. And so therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. And that's Paul's attitude here as he's so writing to the Philippians. He says, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. That, my future is not laid out before me. God hasn't revealed that. But either way, I'm going to magnify God. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to die for him. Um, And then at the end here it says that uh, Christ might be the Lord of both the dead and living. He's he's Lord, he's the master over you, whether you're alive or whether you're dead, which if you're dead and you're a Christian, you're alive, right? Because you're with Christ now, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. So you magnify God by the way you live, you magnify God as you die, that you have that testimony and you've served him faithfully in your own life, and that's what Paul's doing. So God will be manifested whether or not Paul lives or dies. That was a long point. That took a long time. Let's we'll try to move a little faster here. Um, number two, both living and dying have advantages. We as a culture, we as a people, are so afraid of death. Even as Christians sometimes, we we like... Um, you know, somebody has a terminal illness and it, our first thought is let's pray for God to heal them. And that's not bad prayer. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. God can do it. Um, certainly that fits into that category. If we pray for somebody to be healed from terminal cancer and they're healed, then we go, well, that's obviously God. Medical technology didn't do that. God did that. Um, so that would certainly give a lot of glory to God if we said, oh, we prayed about that and look what God did. Um, so that would work into that category. So but sometimes we need to look at it and say, you know what, there are advantages to, for a Christian who has died. There's lots of advantages for a Christian that's died. Um, you know, That's something I had to come to terms with as I, I thought about my wife and her death last summer. You know, I miss her a lot. I think about her every single day. I sometimes wake up and I struggle and go, what am I going to do today you know, just, because, just because she's gone? I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's been a hard thing in my life. But I also think, wow, she is in a great place right now. She is serving the Lord. She's worshiping Him perfectly. She's without sin. Her and uh, Pastor Jim are causing trouble in heaven, I'm sure. No, they're not really causing trouble. You can't cause trouble in heaven. Um, <laughs> but, you know what, they're, they're, they're not worried about us because they're so focused on God the way they should be. And that's wonderful. So there are advantages. So I, I took verse 21, because this verse we use a lot. I wanted to unpack this. I thought it was worth a whole point here. So Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. A very simple statement here. So there's, there's two things he talks about. So living is to serve and honor Christ. That's, that's the whole point of what our life should be as Christians. That we're here to serve, we're here to honor, we're here to glorify, we're here to magnify, we're here to worship Christ, right? Galatians 2.20. I need a reader. Josiah, your hand I saw first. I saw a couple other hands, but some of you are a little shy about it. Get your (laughs) hand up there quick, and I'll call on you. I've been crucified with Christ. And this is a big statement here. It is no longer I who live. I'm not living for my own desires, my own pleasures, my own purpose, my own plan. It's not me who lives anymore. It's Christ living in me. I'm living for Christ's plan, for his will, for his glorification, to build him up. It's Christ who lives in me. Um, It goes on to say, uh, I live by faith in the Son of God, believing who he is and what his word says. I'm, I'm, I'm living for what God wants me to live for not for what I want to live for. That's what should be our attitude as Christians. And you can see this. This is Paul's testimony here, by the way. So this fits in exactly what he's saying here. He wants to magnify Christ. Why? Because it's Christ that's living in him. That's Christ that's living this life. It's not Paul's life. It's Christ who owns him. Um, so there's a purpose in living for Christ. Ephesians 11, uh, 1, 11 through 14. Okay, why don't you shy people in the third row? Who wants to read that one? Okay. You weren't the one who had your hand up shyly before, but go ahead, Sarah. Um, I totally lost her name in Ephesians, right? Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In So the unbolded parts here are Paul's explaining what Christ has done for us. It's, I'm taking it out of a chapter, so there's a lot more in the chapter that he talks about what Christ has done for us. But he's, we've obtained an inheritance. We've been predestined. Uh, he's working all things to the counsel of his will. Uh, verse 13, we've trusted. We've heard the word of truth, the gospel. We've believed. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. All these things are things that God's given us. From this morning's sermon, I'm going to take you back to that. Which point does this talk about in the sermon? Anybody remember this morning's sermon? So the stuff that he's given us would be that first point, right? That God has shown his grace. And remember, Jordan talked about this, this great overflowing, abounding grace that we have. This is, this is the kind of stuff that God's given us in his grace. We don't deserve any of that. No, so what's the purpose? He's given us all this good stuff that as we live, and, and I, I, I highlight this because it happens here twice, verse 12 says that we who first trust in Christ, and Paul may be referring to himself, the apostles, the first people in the church, whoever it is, should be the praise of his glory. So unless we think that it's just Paul and his people that should be the praise of his glory, in verse 13, in him you also trusted, which is true of who? Anybody who's trusted Christ as Savior, we could say in him you also trusted. You know, Eric, in him you also trusted, right? Ted, in him you also trusted that you should be to the praise of his glory. So what's the purpose of living? It's to be to the praise of his glory. And God, just so we don't think, well, that's a lot that we have to deal with, he puts in all this stuff here. Look at what God's done for you. And again, you can go previous verses in Ephesians 1, further verses in Ephesians 1, and see what God's done for us. And in one place there in Ephesians 1, it says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every single spiritual blessing in Christ. So we have the equipment to do it. Now we need to be people who live for Christ, who live to be the, to the praise of his glory. So living is to serve God in Christ. There's a purpose in living for Christ. God's equipped us. I could have probably put that as a point there, that God's given us great things, great blessings that we have so that we can live for Christ. But sometimes, you know, the reward is not seen immediately. What's, what's the benefit? Peter asked this question in Matthew 19:27 through 29. Another reader? Who'd like to read? Nathan? So Peter asks the question, we've left everything. We've given up everything to follow you. What's our reward? What do we get out of it? And he he first of all tells them, and I think this first part is to the disciples themselves, because there's 12 disciples, 12 thrones. Um, You get to be on one of the 12 thrones, you judge the 12 tribes of Israel. You get a nice position in the the regeneration. Okay. But then it says, verse 29, and everyone, but who's everyone? the rest of us, right? <laughs> if, if, if because of Christ, you've had to leave your houses, you've, you've had stress with your brothers or sisters, or father or mother, or wife or children, or you've lost lands, or any of this stuff, for his namesake, in the regeneration, you're going to get that a hundredfold. Don't worry about what you're losing. God's going to take care of it. Oh, and by the way, you get eternal life, too. So that's, you know, I'll throw that on at the end there. That's pretty cool, right? So so you may say, well, living for Christ is hard. I'm going to suffer persecution. I'm going to suffer humiliation. I'm going to suffer ridicule. That doesn't seem like something I want. Well, sometimes the rewards aren't there right away. But they're coming. They're coming. Most of the time, the rewards... Uh, Dory says most of the time the rewards aren't there right away. But... Um, don't worry, God's going to take care of it. So that's, that's kind of my thought there. So living is to serve and honor Christ. And that's a beneficial thing. That's a good thing. God's given us so many gifts for that so that we could be the praise of his glory. And, and there's going to be future rewards. This life isn't the end of things. So good things. Do it now. Live for Christ. But guess what? To die is gain. This word gain means profitable. How is dying profitable? Well, it's because of what we get in death, right? First Thessalonians 4:16 through 18, who would like to read? Ted, go ahead. What's gonna happen either when we die or some of us who remain till Christ returns? Well, when that happens, we're gonna be with Christ forever. For always, thus we shall always be with the Lord. Uh first John three tells us that we're gonna be like him because we're gonna see him as he is. He's gonna take care of all the problems, all the sinfulness, all the evil that's in our hearts. He's gonna get rid of that and we're gonna be like him. Is that gain? I think so. That's what it says. That's what, that's, that's what, very good, I've been monished. that's what it says. Yes, it is. So the answer is yes. That's gain. And we as Christians so often, I mean, we as people, and sometimes as Christians, not always as Christians, but sometimes as Christians we, we think of death and we think, oh, that's so horrible. You know, I have people when I, I share with them that, oh, well, my wife passed away last summer. Uh, what's the first thing that comes out of their mouth? Sorry. I'm so sorry. I understand their sentiment. They know that I'm hurting, I'm going through that. They, they don't want me to do that. You don't have to be sorry about that. God's in control. Sue is with God. She's with Christ. She's, she's not hurting anymore. Yeah. She, she, she's not dealing with sin. She has a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with those in heaven. Everything is wonderful. I, I read somewhere that each day is like better than the last. I mean, this is what, what heaven's like. This is going to be amazing. You don't have to be sorry for her. And you shouldn't be sorry for me, because guess what? God's put me in this situation, and I want to be like Paul. This is a hard situation for me. I'm going to magnify Christ in my body. That's what I want to do. That's my desire. At least that should be what my desire is. It doesn't always work out that way. I'm trying. Uh, um, but, That's the
2: reason Paul's my hero. Yep. He, he said, "I do what I don't want to do." He,
0: yeah. Yeah. He, he struck. He
2: wasn't always faithful.
0: No, he wasn't. Go ahead.
2: But, but when you play, pray for deliverance, you should play, pray in his will. In his will, exactly. Because look at how many epistles were written in prison when he was alone.
0: Yep. No, that's exactly right. And,
2: uh, we're not very patient. You can ask my wife about it. We want the prayer answered right now. And,
0: and we, want to our, <laughs> we want to answer it our way because we think we know what's best. That's the worst part Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's, that's totally true there. And... Uh, you know, if Paul wasn't perfect. I, I don't do the things I should do, and I do the things that I know I shouldn't do. And you see, if Paul struggled with that, are we going to struggle at times? Yes, we are. But his overall goal, his overall life, he wanted to be characterized by he's there to magnify Christ. Um, so I thought that was important for a point. Um, we're going to cover verses fastening these last two points, which I know I need to. So number three, there's a dilemma between living and dying. Two M's. I learned that from my spell checker. What's that? I didn't do two M's I, was two M's. I didn't do it the first time either. I got the little red squigglies and it was like, no, you're wrong. Okay. So, to be fair, to make myself a little smarter, I did then put in a second M, and it worked. And so I didn't use the you know automatic spell check and have it put the word in. Some of the other places I have, so I'm not that smart. But this one I got right. Um, so verse 22 and 23. And, and you can see this. If to live is Christ, and that's a great thing, and to die is gain, that's an advantage, that's a great thing. How do, you, how do you decide where you're supposed to be? Especially if you're in Paul's case, you're in prison, your future is really up in the air. What should I do here? And in verse 23 it says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And so you see the dilemma in his mind. It's like, if if I stay here, if I serve Christ, Christ is going to do good things through me, right? Christ is going to work through me. He's going to accomplish his will. That's a good thing. But I know that being with Christ is even better. So that's a good thing, too. Which way do I go with this? So let's look at the two choices. Living means... Results for Christ. That, that's why I took fruit here. It's, it's results for Christ. Sometimes, and I love John MacArthur. I love his commentary. Um, sometimes he gets stuck on the word, and then uh, you know, he sees fruit in here, and then he goes to every passage that has fruit in it, and says, look at all this different fruit stuff. Well, let's simplify this a little bit. What's fruit for his labor? This is results. This is God working through his labor. That's, that's simply what you can say there. You know, part of his labor was sharing the gospel, so part of his fruit was seeing people saved. That's results from his labor. Harvest fruit was enabling and edifying the church. So you seen the church grow. That's fruit from his labor. So whatever it is, whatever he's doing, that's fruit. It's just his results. Um, so if I live on, if he lives on in the flesh, um, one of the commentaries made a comment on this. This isn't talking like a lot of times when you say live in the flesh. This is like you know live by our sinful desires. That's not what he's talking about. He's just talking about if he lives on earth and the the. Physical bodies that we have. It's living in the flesh. He'll have fruit from his labor. And he describes the fruit from his labor in the next part of the thing. So I'm not going to go too much into what he thinks the fruit of his labor is. Uh, But Ephesians 2:10. Elizabeth, go ahead. So here, you you guys all know Ephesians 2.8 and 9, right? Uh, Most everybody does. Um, It talks about being saved. It talks about how the process of salvation works. Verse 10 starts out, for Okay, you're saved. For what reason? For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul knows this. If he's here on earth, if he's saved, he's been created to do what's right, to do what's good, to do what pleases the Lord, to do what God wants him to accomplish. He's created, he's God's workmanship in order to do good works. And so he says, if I live on the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Well, how will it be fruit for his labor? Well, as he's obedient and doing what God wants him to do, he knows God's going to work because that's what God's created him for. Um, You know, I think about things I create. I don't create a lot of things. Um, So I've used this example many times before. I like Legos. That's something I can create. I don't actually create the Legos, but I create things out of the Legos, right? So if I create the Lego and I'm like, I'm going to create a spaceship because I like Star Wars Legos, so I create spaceships. And I build it, then there's a spaceship. Well, that spaceship's created to be a spaceship. It's created to be what it's supposed to be. So I get my little Anakin Skywalker figure, and I put him in the cockpit, and I fly it around with the kids, and I make funny stories with them, and they laugh, and everybody's happy. The, The spaceship's created to do what I made it to do. God's created us as Christians, as people who have faith in him, in order to do what we're supposed to be doing, and that's good works. And so Paul says, I'm going to do what God's created me to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and that's to do the good works that he wants me to accomplish. And because I'm doing that, and because that's God's purpose, he's going to use me for that purpose. Just like I created that spaceship, I'm going to fly around as a spaceship. I'm not going to turn it into a semi-truck. You know, Here's my spaceship, Look, oh, it's driving on the ground as a semi-truck. No, I created it as a spaceship, so I'm going to use it for that purpose, and that's what it's going to accomplish. Paul's been created for the purpose of... Of, of doing good works by God, so he's going to do that and God's going to accomplish what he wants to do through him. So there's fruit for his labor. Um, so that's living. Living means for Christ. There's going to be fruit for my labor. I'm going to do what God wants me to do and accomplish what God wants me to accomplish. Dying is far better because dying means being with Christ. And he's hard-pressed here between the two choices now. Now, this is hard to understand. As Paul like saying, I'm going to either kill myself or I'm going to not kill myself. No, he's not saying that. He's, he's basically saying this as an unknown that I don't know what's going to happen to me in the future. You know, in God's sovereignty and God's will, he hasn't revealed this to me. So my desire is, yes, to continue doing this and serve God, but my greater desire is to stop doing this and be with God and serve him even better. And so he's expressing this as like it's his choice. It's not his choice, but what, what is his desire? What does he want to do? Um, so he's hard-pressed. This word hard-pressed means being hemmed in on both sides. It has this idea of walking in this narrow valley and the, the walls are closing in on you. And it's getting narrower and narrower. And it's kind of pushing you on both sides. He, he can't go one way, he can't go the other. He's not sure what to do. That, that's the idea of this word. So he has a desire to depart. He has a desire to... Die and, and depart from this world and be in God's world. Uh, no, this world is God's world. That is a poor way of saying it. To be with Christ, I'll just put it that way. Um, Romans eight twenty three. Let's read that. Um, go ahead, Eric. So Paul says, "This is true of us as Christians. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. What's the first fruits of the Spirit? It's the Spirit dwelling in us. Well, the Spirit dwells in us is when we're saved. That's that's his first fruit is this indwelling. So those of us who are saved, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We're looking forward to being with Christ, whether you realize that or not. Now, as you get older, I think you look more and more forward to it. One because I think you have less time anyway." <laughs> that every day you're day closer to being with Christ. But I think also, you know, and I've, I've noticed this, and I know I'm going to say this to some of you who are what we used to call senior saints, a lot are going to say you're such a young whippersnapper, you can't even say that. I'm 50 now, and I have soreness in places I didn't even know I could have soreness. <laughs> um, I've been going bowling with Josiah and Nathan and Thomas, and Caleb sometimes comes with us, um, and I've, I've gone out there and my middle finger on my bowling hand is sore because I'm gripping the ball. I didn't know that could happen. I used to bowl a lot when I was younger. That never happened to me. If you're still young. you got to learn a lot more. I, I know. I do have to learn a lot more.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that this is why, that's why I say that the senior uh, saints are going to tell I me, you need scary. to calm down. You're, yeah. you're not even there yet. Yeah. Except, uh, like like I, can, I, I bend my middle finger about this far and I go, that's starting to hurt right there from bowling. How does that happen? I mean, so I, I think that's a part of it, too, that, that I'm like, okay, I can't wait till the aches and pains and sores are gone. Christ, come back. You know, that's, again, I want to have that attitude of Paul that if I'm here, I'm serving the Lord. But if God comes back or if God takes me home uh, through death, that, oh, wow, that's going to be so much better. And I, I think there's a lot that, that goes into that. And just, just our desire as we get to know the Lord and as we learn about who he is, as we're studying his word, there should, there should automatically be a desire that, yes, I want that. I want to know him better. I want to be with him. That ought to be there. Um, as the deer panted for the water, so my soul longs after you. I mean, what's a better way to get to know God than to be in his presence? I mean, we have his word. He's given us what we need. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not good enough, but when we're there we're going to see him as he is. That's going to be amazing. So that, there ought to be a longing in our heart, and, and Paul says, I have this desire. I have this desire to depart. And Think about it. He's in prison again. He's he's facing persecution from Gentiles. He's facing uh, tribulations from those who are supposed to be saved and are supposed to be supporting him and working alongside him. And they're not. You know, there's probably days where he goes, I'm ready to be done with this. Jesus, come back, or Jesus, come get me. And so... So he has a desire to depart and to be with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Um, uh, Yeah, let's look at 1 through 8, and then we'll talk about 8 in a second. Josiah, Josiah wants the big passage. So this fits with points 1 and 2 under B there. Uh, the first part there, uh, he has a desire to depart. And he's talking about here, uh, he's talking about tents, and he's talking about buildings, and he's talking about being clothed, and unclothed, and re-clothed. This is all him talking about, about death. The tent, the old clothing, is this flesh. It's our bodies. And he says, when we get to heaven, God's going to take away that sinful, awful clothing, which he calls a tent. He's going to give us a building. He's going to give us a better body. He's going to give us a good body. He's going to give us a perfect body. And the same thing he says, you know, we're not we don't want to be unclothed. We don't want to be out of body, but we want to be further clothed. We want the better body. That's what we should be groaning for. That's what we should be desiring. And, and that's all talking about being with Christ. And then he goes on to say, and this is the second point, he wants to be with Christ. Verse 6. So we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. While you're here, you're not in the Lord's direct presence. Now, I know the Holy Spirit's in us. God is um, everywhere at once, right? So, he's here. But in the same way, we don't, we don't see. We don't experience. We don't taste. We don't feel. We don't hear. You know, all the stuff. The senses. We don't. We're not in his presence in that way. So, when we're in the body, we're not with the Lord. But verse 8, we are confident, we're well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and be present from the Lord. Our desire is to be Get rid of this body. It's it's decaying. It's the law of thermodynamics. Everything is is going from a state of more complex and more simple. It's decaying, it's falling apart. This body is falling apart. From the moment you're born, your body's working towards death. We want to get rid of that and we want to be in the Lord's presence. We want to be with Him. Yes. That's neat. Yeah. yeah. I love
3: that picture of Sue where she's got her arms wide open and it's like, ah, she's looking at
0: you. That's how she is now. Yeah. I I was talking to a friend of mine. Um He has a, a friend who he lost his wife and he. Um, he's a pastor he's, telling, he's teaching his congregation that he prays to God that God would say hi and I love you to his wife in heaven and I said I don't think that's biblical because they're not really concerned about that they're focused on Christ so much that it, that doesn't matter to them they're there where they need to be where they ought to be and not that it's a bad sentiment necessarily but it's not a biblical one when you're with Christ you're with Christ your, your, your whole focus is to worship and honor mm-hmm. him Um, I'm I'm glad that Sue's not thinking about what I'm doing down here I'm glad that she has the right focus now and and it's it's perfect so um, she's with the Lord she's absent from the body and present with the Lord and she has that new habitation that new dwelling that new body that she can serve Him perfectly so anyway that's way off the point here probably well that's not way off the point but it's I'm just talking Um, and so Paul ends in verse 23 here this is far better it's far better to be with the Lord. Um, this is far better than continuing here. Job 19, 25-26. Job is great because I don't think anybody can argue that he's gone through some extremely hard things. Uh, so what does he say in verses 25 and 26 of Job 19? Olivia Does anybody know about when we think Job lived? No, when he lived. Oh. What time period?
2: The
0: dinosaurs. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, pretty early. Like before Abraham or maybe in Abraham's time. somewhere. In, he, he's a very early Genesis. Right? Look at what he says. I know that my Redeemer lives. Job had some good theology. Job knew who God was. He knew that God was his Redeemer. I know my Redeemer lives. He shall stand there last on earth. He's got the eschatology down, right? Christ is coming back. He didn't even know it was Christ. He just knew his Redeemer was coming back. And after my skin is destroyed, after, you know, he's going to die, he's going to be buried in the ground. And what happens when you get buried in the ground? Your body doesn't last that long. Let's put it that way. Um, Your skin is destroyed. This I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Even though my earthly body is destroyed, I am going to see God. Yeah. Right, but, but he, understand, he understands a lot of truth here. For somebody that didn't have all the New Testament that we're studying, having Paul tell us point blank, this is what it means, he already knows what it means. You know, you, if I put this, if I left the reference off and gave this to the, you know, the normal Christian and said, where is this found? I bet a lot of them would say, well, some, one of the epistles probably, maybe in Romans, maybe in Ephesians, but this is Job. He understands the truth about God, that you know, this, this life doesn't last, but when I'm, when I'm done here, I'm going to be with God. I'm going to see him. I'm going to be with him. Um, Revelation 7, 15 through 17. You have to go to Revelation. Imagine that. Went from Job to Revelation. So... Now, if I said, is being with Christ, is that a, a, a wonderful, great thing? Is that a wonderful reward for us? I think you would all say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we want, right? Look at what else comes along with it. Um, They'll neither hunger nor thirst anymore. I'm hungry right now. I'm ready to go home and have something to eat. And as soon as I stop talking, we can do that. It's, it's yeah, going long. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the sun shall not strike them. How many of you have had like a sunburn or heat stroke or something like that. The sun is nice. It does a lot of good things, but the sun can hurt you too, right? Yeah. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne, we'll shepherd them. Um, I don't know how you feel about our current president. I'm not a big fan. Um, the one before him, even though he did some good things, I wasn't a big fan of him either. And um, you know, to be quite honest, I, most of the presidents disappoint me in some way or another. They're not very good leaders. Um, some of them better than others. I think there's better ones than the ones we have now. Um, Who's going to shepherd us in heaven? It's going to be the lamb, the perfect lamb. He's going to be a good leader. I think I'm going to like everything that he decides because he's going to be a shepherd not only that does what's righteous, what's just, what's holy, but he's also going to do what's loving, what's gracious. I mean, this is going to be the perfect leader. The lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them. And he's going to lead us to living waters. I don't know what living waters are exactly. Well, you're
2: going to be
0: perfect, too, so there won't be
2: any problems. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You
0: believe in or father. <laughs> but I, I got my 40 ounces of water here that I try to get through. I know that that's not living water, so whatever it is, it's going to be a lot better, right? And, and last thing here, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every single tear from their eyes is going to be wiped. We're never going to cry again. We're never going to hurt again. Those are some good things. Is that far better than now? Oh, yeah, by a lot, right? I mean, this isn't even a question. So Paul's saying here, you know, I, I, I know I need to stay here, I need to live for Christ, there's going to be fruits of my labor if I live here. But boy, the, what's, what's coming next, that is a ton better. So why wouldn't I desire this? Well, Paul says this is what's going to happen. Number four here. If, if our lives, if we live... I added that in there because that's kind of how Paul puts it. If our lives that we live are to produce fruit, so here's what we're to focus on. Then we have a desire to depart, we have a longing, we have a groaning, but we need to be focusing on producing fruit in our lives. Oh, the word to produce. Thank you. (laughs)
2: Same
0: thing, right? Produce. Okay. Um, Yeah, they do. (laughs) Sometimes mercilessly, but, you know, they, they do that. Sometimes. Especially that one. That's my son. He, he likes to do that. Uh, Philippians 1, 24... Oh, yes. I'm not ready for you yet. You get the next one, though. Nevertheless, the remaining in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's saying it's better to depart, but what's more needful for you is I stay here, that I live. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue all... Uh, Continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So he says, even though being with Christ is far better, even though being with Christ has so many more benefits, what's necessary is that I stay here and minister and produce fruit in my life. So um, living, and I put in here to serve, because if you're just living to live, That's not what God wants. God wants you to serve. Living to serve is necessary. This word needful here, it means necessary. It's urgent. Paul doesn't see this as like, well, it'll be good for you if I stick around because I'll have some nice things to give you. I'll read a couple books of the Bible. You can read it if you want to. No, he's saying this is urgent. This is important that I be here to do what God wants me to do because it's for your benefit. It's not for my benefit. My benefit is I'm going to go be with Christ and things will be taken care of. But what's beneficial is for me to serve you and do what God wants me to do in your life. So it's for others' progress. Paul desires the church to grow in Christ. I gave a couple verses. I was going to give like a whole long passage here in Ephesians 4, but I'll just give you a couple here because I think I can point out what Paul's trying to say. Lemuel, you want this one? Ephesians 4, 11 through 12? I think you can qualify uh, Paul as that first category there. He's an apostle, right? We all agree to that. So God gave some to be apostles. What's the purpose? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Paul's purpose here is to build up, to equip the body of Christ. And he says, this is what God's given me to do. This is why it's important. This is why I'm staying. It's not for my benefit. It's to serve you. It's to give you the tools you need to build you up into the people God wants you to be, because that is important. Um, so it's for the others' project, and it's for others' joy. He says, uh, this is, uh, I continue for your progress and for your joy of faith. There is joy in common fellowship we have, as Paul sees the people that he's taught, the people he's trained, the people he's saved, doing what's right, serving God, being the people God wants them to be. That brings him joy. Um... I'm good. Can I use our conversation this morning as an example, Josiah? Um, so Josiah had to take his dad to the airport. It was, he was, I assume you're one of the only ones who was available to do it, and it was kind of, it was necessary. He had to get there for a flight. Um, a lot of people would say, you know what, I miss church, taking my dad to the airport. I'm just going to take the day off, and they go home, sleep, rest, whatever. Josiah came back towards the end of the service. I saw him there. I, I, not that I was a little surprised, but it, I didn't, I I like, oh, Josiah's, Josiah's here. He's not at the airport anymore. That's cool. And I said to him, I said, it makes me so happy to see that you are so committed to being here that even though you could have not shown up and nobody would have questioned it because you were taking your dad to the airport, you're here. That brings me joy. That makes me happy that you're doing that. And Josiah said, well, it, makes, it brings me joy that, you know, I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm being here with the people of God. I don't remember exactly how he said it, but that kind of idea that, uh, that, you know, this this is this is beneficial to him to be here, and he's he's finding joy in that and i'm I'm finding joy because he he committed himself to coming back and it should be expected for christians right that that should be normal, but you don't always see that very often so so when someone does that i'm like it made me so happy this morning <laughs> i I really was like, yeah, yeah Josiah, you're doing what's right that's awesome so uh, it's for others joy that that paul is that he says here, for your progress and joy of faith. There's joy in people doing what's right. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.24. Do I have that on? I do, yeah. Uh, Josiah. Okay, go ahead.
3: Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For by
0: faith you stand. And Paul says, we're fellow workers for your joy, not even for his joy, but for your joy that you would experience the joy of God. That's what he's there for. So the progress of their joy. So living to serve is necessary, living on brings rejoicing. This word rejoicing is a different word than we normally have for rejoicing. It means boasting or an object of boasting. So it brings reason for them to say, look what God's doing in Paul. It's, it's a kind of a boasting about Paul, but it's really a boasting about God. That they're saying, look at what, look what, how God is using Paul to help us. There's a reason for boasting here. Um, and he says that they would be more abundant, that Paul's deliverance and remaining, I use remaining quotes, this is his living, would bring more abundant rejoicing to them, that they would be able to boast in what Paul's doing and thus boasting in what God's doing, because they're Paul's will is to magnify the Lord. Uh, so it all goes back to that. And so it's in Christ, it's on behalf of what Christ has done for Paul to ser- and to serve the church through Paul. So what, how Christ is working in God, they're able to boast in that. Uh, and because of Paul's uh, presence here, he says at the end of the verse here uh, that you're rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. So Paul says, I'm, I'm praying for God's deliverance. You know, he may deliver me through death, but if he lets me live, I'm hoping that I can come to you in person and meet that urgent need in you to grow and to know Christ and to do what Christ wants you to do. That's what Paul's desire is. And, and this, he feels it's necessary and it brings joy in the church. So that's kind of that last point. I know I'm way, way over time. I'm sorry this morning. Th- these were hard verses. I wanted to break them up smaller but I, I thought that we needed to do them together. Um, so that's that's my main notes. I'm going to look at three takeaways here. And we're going to turn one more in our Bible so it's going to be another few minutes yet. I'm sorry. Um, hopefully stick with me just a little bit longer. Um, God wants to be enlarged in your life. That was that first part about magnifying Christ in our body. God wants to be enlarged in your life. He wants to be showing through your life to be bigger, to be greater, to be proclaimed before people. What are you doing to bring him glory and to magnify him? Does your life reflect who God is and, and is it live consistently with like God's word tells you it should look like? Are you portraying that? Are you magnifying Christ? Are you, are you showing him for who he is by the way you live, by the things you do, by the things you say? So God wants to be enlarged in your life. Secondly, I think our focus in this life should be to serve others. As Paul said, that continuing meant uh, continuing. Again, this continuing living meant a benefit for the believers in Philippi. Do our lives impact those around us in a beneficial way? Is our living? Are we living to help others? Are we living to show Christ to others? Are we living to encourage others in Christ? Are we a witness to eternal life to the unsaved we come into contact with? That's the way we can benefit people as they're hearing the gospel and they're saved. That's a that's a humongous benefit. They're going from death to life. They're experiencing that eternal life that God promises. So we need to be doing that. Uh, Are we edifying believers around us? Are we working to build up each other and help each other grow in Christ? Our lives ought to be doing that. The purpose of us being here is to serve those around us. It's far better for us to be with Christ. We can do almost everything better, but we can't help other people grow and we can't share the gospel better than we can right now. So we need to do that. My last point here, death can scare us. It can sadden us, too. It can do a lot of things. But we should understand that our death here on earth only means that we are able to be with Christ. I to say only means I mean, that's a great thing, right? When faced with our own death, if we have trusted Christ as our Savior, we can be reassured and we can stand boldly because to die is gain. You know, for a lot of my life... Um, You know, I grew up in the 80s. In the 80s, things were kind of starting to go downhill morally in our country. And as I've gone along in years, it's gotten worse and worse. I don't have any illusion that at some point in time in the United States, I believe that Christianity is going to be persecuted to the point that it's probably going to be illegal. It's probably going to cause us to be in prison. It may cause some persecution, some torture. I don't know that's next year. I don't know if it's 50 years from now. I just see that's the way we're going unless God changes something drastically in our country. For a while, that used to scare me. I used to hate that idea. What am I going to do if, if they take me to prison and they beat me and they torture me and stuff? I'm getting less and less worried about that because I'm understanding that what can man do to me? This is a short time and then I get to be with God. I get to be with Christ. I get to have all the benefits of a perfect right relationship with God in his presence. Man can't do anything to me. God has me in his hand. God's not letting me go. Um, so that's why I say we can stand boldly because I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I'm like, they can do whatever they want to me. I'm standing for my faith. I'm proclaiming the gospel. I'm telling them who Jesus is and that he's true. I'm not as worried about that anymore. Uh, there's nothing that man can do to take that away. Romans eight thirty-five through 39. I want to close with this. So let's go there. Um, somebody wants to volunteer to read. Al- Jonathan has hand up a little, Olivia has her hand up a lot. They're both pointing at each other now. We'll, we'll let Jonathan do it, we'll do, do that. And Olivia's very gracious and I appreciate that. And uh, She's been raised well, my wife did a good job, I did an okay job. Okay, um, Jonathan, go ahead, verses 35 through 39.
3: sake we are killed all the day long we are counted as sheep to the slaughter nay in, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that love us for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us
0: from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord who can separate us from the love of Christ you look at that list there. Shall tribulation, so at hard times, separate us? No. Distress? No. Persecution? Absolutely not. Um, famine? You know, I, I like eating. You can probably tell that. Um, <laughs> I don't like the idea of famine, but can that separate me from the love of Christ? No. Um, what else do we have here? Nakedness? Uh, you know, not having anything, having, uh, having all our goods taken away. No. peril. No. Sword. That's, you know, people physically coming after us. None of those stuff can separate us from the love of Christ. Those are all physical things. Now look at verse uh, 38. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, so either in death or life, we, we still are under the love of Christ. Um, angels principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. What do we have to fear? Nothing. What can stop us from doing what God wants us to do? Nothing. Paul's in prison. Paul's going to get imprisoned later again. We talked about this. This is kind of his house arrest prison. There's, later he gets the dungeon prison. You know what? Both of them, he was serving the Lord. And as you pointed out, He's writing epistles. He's writing the word of God while he's in these places. Is God stopping him? No. God's putting him in a position that he can do what what God wants him to do. And he says, I'm going to continue to serve. I'm going to continue to magnify. None of this stuff is going to stop me because God's love, nothing can separate me from that. It's awesome. We need to have that kind of attitude. We need to have that kind of thinking. That would free us up. if, If we're afraid to share the gospel with somebody, we don't need to be afraid. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. You go ahead and share the love of Christ with people. You know, We don't have to be afraid to stand for our faith. We don't have to stand to face persecution. We don't have to stand to face ridicule. We can do that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So those are my takeaways. Any thoughts or questions? I know you're probably like, oh, he's done talking, finally. Um, go ahead and go ahead. Yep. Yep, Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, said that. Uh, don't fear those who can kill the body, but uh, fear the one who can throw both body and soul into hell. So who do we fear? Who do we honor? Who do we obey? We don't have to worry about what man's going to do. And you can see the apostles live that out throughout Acts. And if you study history, they—they they, most of them, I think John might not have, but most of the apostles died for their faith. They died in defense of the gospel, and they were willing to do that because they knew nothing can separate them from God. And that to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So either way, we serve the Lord. We magnify Him. Yes.
2: You know, you said my favorite salvation verse already. You did it two eight nine. so much there, and you go to yeah. Go to To all, all things, things Christ. I like to do things myself. Yep. So rephrase it. That doesn't work too well. No. Christ, all things.
0: Who strengthens me? Yep. He gives us the ability he to do that. Him. His grace to us. Good. Um, let's go ahead and close in prayer, unless somebody has something vital they to say here. Um, Eric, would you be willing to close us in prayer? Yeah. yeah. Again, I apologize for taking such a long time this morning. Next week is three verses, I believe, so hopefully I'll be able to cover that a little faster.